but I think recognizing the importance of maintaining that tradition of recognizing the core was something that was never a doubt for me. Welcome to The Profitable Table, fed by Woolco Foods, the nation's first podcast devoted to the business and lifestyle of the hospitality industry. Now, here's your host, Woolco Foods CEO, Stephen Toberoff. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Profitable Table, fed by Woolco Foods. I am your host, Stephen Toberoff, and the word sort of legendary and iconic, gets thrown around a lot in a lot of contexts, but it is an absolutely appropriate word to use for the restaurant whose owner I'm speaking with today. Very few restaurants are as synonymous with New York City and and just authenticity as Katz's delicatessen, and so I'm really honored to have as my guest today the owner, Jake Dell. Jake, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Thanks for having me. I'm blushing over here now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's true. I mean, on a personal level, and I I told you this when we were speaking before, I used to go to the Lower East Side often with my dad, and Katz's is just one of those places. I'm very fortunate in that I had the opportunity to enjoy it 20, 30, well, 20 years ago would be appropriate, before there was a major transformation in that whole neighborhood, and that transformation's been great. And one of the many cool things about Katz's is you've been able to roll with it, and it's almost enhanced your brand rather than a lot of other older establishments having to sort of deal with that tension, you know? That's part of what makes New York so wonderful, but you're absolutely right. It's also can create so much tension, but we're no stranger to change. We've been here 133 years at this point, and (laughs) neighborhoods changed more than once, (laughs) that's for sure. It's true. I mean, if, if people want to get sort of a a snapshot or, or an image of what it was like when I was going down there, you know, as a child and younger, there's a great movie called Crossing Delancey, oh, which course. really gives yeah. a, a great portrayal of it. And it was such a fun area, but it still is. But um, Jake, if you wouldn't mind, as, as we begin, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved in Katz's? Yeah, of course. So I am the fifth generation overall now. I'm the third in my family. My grandfather was partners with the with the Katz family, uh, you know, a couple different ownership families there. And then my father and uncle got involved. And, and I really grew up in this business as a kid, you know, I, birthday parties here. And, and when I was old enough, I was in the front handing out tickets and trying to sneak behind the counter, but, but usually getting thrown out by the big Russian men back there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had my, my bar mitzvah here. So I grew up here. I did think I was going to be a doctor at one point when I was in high school and college. Studied for that, took the MCATs, and it took a year off to sort of help out with the business, help my father out, and I really just fell in love and everything, every aspect of this business, the people, the staff, you know, just the smiles and joy that it would bring to a lot of people, and and I was kind of hooked. I gave up the idea of being a doctor and haven't looked back. That's very cool. I can relate to a lot of, of what your story is because, so my father owned 50% of Woolco and I'm a lawyer by training, but I had worked in Woolco for a while. And when my, you know, in my situation, I had to sort of make a call because of my father passing away unexpectedly. And I decided to take the shares in, in Woolco as opposed 
to the buyout, and I, I've loved every minute of it. And for a lot of the reasons that you mentioned, which is just the people and just the day-to-day sort of challenges and 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 opportunities that come along with running a business, it, it really is very, very enjoyable. It's it's rewarding. It's good when it's great, and it's terrible when it's bad, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> businesses, and I think that's in any industry. I don't think that's unique necessarily to the restaurant industry. Um, but, but, uh, yeah, it's definitely got its, its challenging days, but more yeah. than it's got its rewarding days. Absolutely. What I really enjoy about business is that it really requires, especially if you're in a leadership position, you have to have aptitude for what you're doing. You have to have knowledge, a certain level of intelligence, but you also have to really focus on and, and really be attentive to dealing with people because in the hospitality business, especially the people who work in the organization are so essential. And as the leader, managing people's personalities and interacting them and, and acknowledging their emotions is is a never-ending challenge. So there's that psychological component as well. Of course. Absolutely. Yeah. You're part-time therapist, part-time babysitter, part-time cheerleader, and, and and way more hats, you know what I mean? That's just the staff, not to mention the customers. <laughs> now, one of the iconic signs in, in Katz's Deli that I used to remember when I would go with my dad, and I'm sure you're going to you can almost guess which I'm going to say, which is send a pastrami to your boy in the army. And what was so great about that as we fast forward to today is you guys way back before third-party delivery services and Gold Belly were already shipping your product to locations far outside of where your brick and mortar was. What would you say is the state of your utilization of all of those technologies now? I mean, obviously they're ubiquitous, but you guys have, you know, we're sort of the the original players in that space. And I'm just curious how you've utilized it as that technology has evolved. Yeah, so like you said, send a salami to your boy in the army has been our slogan since World War II. That's when we first started shipping out to soldiers all across the world. And over time, then since the 40s, then we learned how to ship other products. How do you ship matzo ball soups and pastrami's and pickles and all these other things? How do you get it to Hawaii? You know, that's that's a hell of a challenge. We've had some big leaps over the years, uh, over the decades, the most recent being about four or five years ago. We really built out a, a large facility to be able to create some better packaging that holds the temperature so we can ship with a, a free two-day shipping model. And that has been incredibly successful. And obviously during a pandemic was especially important. But even before that, we were seeing tremendous growth. It gets harder and harder to come down to the Lower East Side for whatever reason. So it's about bringing that cat's experience to the customer. And whether it's delivery and, and doing some sort of local delivery or a catering job or something like that, or shipping to Iowa, we sort of just figure out a way. As far as utilization, I mean, we're we're really cranking now. We're very lucky and very thankful for that. We'll ship out two, 3,000 orders a week, all sort of unique individual packages. And it's a learning process. That's awesome. And one of the things that's so great about it is because Katz's has been around for so long, you must have thousands, of tens of thousands of customers who are super loyal to your brand, but just by the circumstances of life, they've grown up in New York, they've moved elsewhere, but the level of engagement with your brand is so intense that you almost 
really had to do something like this because people who had had a magnificent experience in Katz is when they were younger or whenever they were in their lives and they are, they're not in New York anymore, they still want to have it. And I think it, I just think, especially for your concept, it's just been a super winner for you, but also just super important. Absolutely. I mean, I think you kind of have three sort of big picture bubbles of customers there. You have the ex-New Yorkers who miss the, the classic deli food. You have people who maybe saw us uh, on, on a TV show or, or whatever, or heard about us or listened to a podcast <laughs> and are curious. Or you have current New Yorkers who just sort of want to make someone jealous or they want to give a gift or show some love or whatever it is. But either way, in any of those three scenarios, it really is about not being able to come down here, whether it's a flight or whether it's a drive or parking hell. You know, we all know how hard parking is in New York. Whatever the reason, we are happy that people like us enough <laughs> to, to want to ship it. 100%. And the other thing which is really great about cats is, and you had mentioned before, for people who are not from New York, when when you were talking about handing out the tickets, when you go to Katz's, there was someone there and they would hand out the tickets and you would give that to the counter person. And so the level of engagement between the customer and your team is certainly unique. I was going to say unlike any other, but there's other delis, but nothing really quite like Katz's. I even remember going there with my father. And what's really cool about that, and I'd love to know your thoughts, is like, Going back to let's, we could even pick a time. It doesn't matter, the 70s, the 80s or whatever. That's how the neighborhood was. That was Katz's. But now because of the way that the neighborhood's changed and your brand has become so iconic and well-known, there's almost that other dimension to it. Like, wow, this is a real quote-unquote New York experience, yet it really is the same authentic experience you've been offering for decade after decade after decade. Well, I think that's part of what is so important to our core, to who we are First and foremost, it's the food, of course, right? Like preserving the food tradition, making sure the food's good. But there is a component of atmosphere and a component of nostalgia that is incredibly important to everything we do. And and it guides every single decision that I make. That ticket is a little bit of both. It's a little bit of atmosphere and a little bit of nostalgia. And, you know, it definitely confuses some first timers. They don't quite understand what it is. And they get a little scared and, and uh, but, you know, that's part of the experience, I guess. No, absolutely. And I, I think nostalgia can be such a powerful aspect of any brand. And unfortunately, I think a lot of times people are so quick to modernize or, or evolve in the way that they think that the consumer wants, when in reality, the best way to play it is to just stay true to your core values. And you'll find that your core customers are, of course, happy. You'll have a whole new wave of customers who are just totally enthralled by the, the novelty of the experience, which for you isn't novel because you've been doing it from the inception. <laughs> yeah, you know? right. Exactly. Not, not exactly novel. It's been since 1888. Um, if you look at the back of the tickets, actually, the Numbers on the back used to mean something. They used to be the the price in pennies that you would owe, and and we'd punch the ticket all the way, you know, all the way up to whatever you had gotten. But then, you know, at a certain point, four dollars didn't quite cut it. You know, inflation kind of <laughs> made that we would need like a three foot long ticket. So so instead, now we just sort of write on the front, but same concept, same exact thing. Very sporadically, I'll see a restaurant that has a similar idea. Maybe they'll use like a credit card and you, as you go from station to station, they load the credit card up. 
but you really don't see that type of system. And it used to be not just prevalent. I mean, that was it. That was how every business kept track of what you were getting. So It's true. You read any of these great Isaac Bashevis Singer short stories or any of those great novels or stories about the Lower East Side, and this was the way that customers were able to keep track of their purchases. Exactly. It's definitely caused some issues, though, and I think if I were to design a restaurant from scratch today, I don't know that it would include the ticket, but it's something that's very fundamental to to that nostalgia portion and that atmosphere portion of our brand. Now, I remember looking at your Instagram a while back and, and one of the posts was when there was outdoor seating and the post was how the first time in, I think, Katz's history, you had offered <laughs> outdoor seating. And I'm wondering if there's any changes or any things that, that has come out of the past several months which have brought to bear something that would be a long-lasting sort of institutional change for Katz's or, or do you just... Was that just something to use at the time? And as things revert back, it'll just fade into memory. Well, I think there's a couple things for sure. I think first and foremost, outdoor dining is something weather permitting, we can just keep doing it. It's kind of nice. It's a little weird, you know, and uh, sort of jarring for, for regulars to be sitting outside of Katz's at a table. But there's something really cool about sitting under the giant vertical sign so we'll probably do something like that going forward. But bigger picture, we saw a tremendous, tremendous growth in our shipping business and in our on our website of our local pickups. We had always allowed for, for pickups. You know, people would call in an order and, and it was sort of more like for those who knew could take advantage of it type of mentality. But we really built out our website and built out our infrastructure and our operations to encourage people to do pickup orders. And that's something that I don't foresee us changing anytime soon. It's it's a great additional way that, that our customers can cut the line. And we all know that lines are, you know, annoying New Yorkers. So uh, it's nice to be able to do that. I completely agree with you. You know, just sort of as an example, I, I'd never used the Starbucks app. I would always go there, order the coffee. Because of this, you had to. And now I just love the fact that I can go, it's ready, and you don't have to wait in the line. So I think that's a great observation. But I also think what's terrific about it is as things normalize, there's no doubt that Katz's is still going to be the go-to spot and be exactly what it was and probably more because there's so much pent-up demand. But I do think people enjoy picking up, not just for the convenience, which you'd said, but sometimes it's nice to just get out. You want to walk the dog or you just want to get out of the house for a minute. And so I think by, you know, sort of leveraging that experience and, and making that something that you're going to lean into, it could very well be yet another source of revenue and a meaningful one on top of everything else. Yeah, I mean, it, of course, we'll see. Customer behavior now might change in a year from now. I mean, it, it's, it's crazy to think that it's been a, a year since we first went into lockdown, and it feels like a lifetime. So who knows what, the, what another year will bring. and we're not going to lock ourselves into anything, but the only thing we will lock ourselves into is being who we are, being true to Katz's. And, and any of the changes that we've had to do or wanted to do has always, always thought about don't change. You know what I mean? Change because you have to do things that make it easier, more accommodating, that bring the experience closer, but don't change the core of who we are. And who we are is a classic 
deli, that deli tradition from the end of the 19th century, that whole mentality is so important to maintain that tradition, especially as everything else around the neighborhood changes, as around New York changes, around the world changes. There needs to be pockets of tradition sprinkled across all that change. You know, that's such a great insight, and I couldn't agree with you more. And it was actually sort of related to what my next question, which is the following. There's sometimes when you have a new generation of ownership coming in and and taking the helm, there's almost a little pressure to see where they can leave their mark. Now, it seems like you've made the decision, and and I think it's a brilliant one, to make the focus of, no, we're only going to change if we have to. Was that something that you had made as a decision from the beginning of your tenure, or was that something that you sort of God, from speaking to your father, where did you come with that conviction? I think it's it's 100% correct, but I, I, I respect and admire you for coming to it because you're resisting the temptation, which is fueled by ego, of, you know, the next generation wants to leave their stamp. So I'm just wondering when you came to that decision. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I, it's hard to say. It's probably a little bit of both, to be honest. You know, it did come from my father, my uncle, and from my grandfather, and I'd be lying if I said the temptation wasn't there for me to want to change some things. I understand now where that comes from, for you know why the next generation wants to change things. But I think it was just, it's about patience and it's about really just stepping back and looking. And sometimes the hardest thing, it really is to do nothing, right? It, it, one of the hardest things in the world is to say no or to not say anything. And that's what it feels like sometimes early on or felt like sometimes. But I think recognizing the importance of maintaining that tradition of recognizing the core was something that was never a doubt for me. It was something that even if I were to make changes, it would be back of house changes. It wouldn't be front of house changes. It would be something boring like accounting or inventory, something that doesn't change who we truly are. And those are things that, sure, they needed upgrading, right? It was things that hadn't been touched in 20, 30 years. You know, a website that hadn't been touched since 1994 needed to be updated. Right. <laughs> but it doesn't change who you are. For any potential next generation owners out there listening, I would stress in a family business, you know, Sometimes the older generation knows what they're talking about. (laughs) No, absolutely. I mean, I think when people do make changes and they're not really deliberate about it, I think it's oftentimes driven by ego. Absolutely, yeah. But in reality, it's exactly what you say. You know, you really have to sort of take yourself out of it and assess what is really best for the business and what makes the business great. And if all I need to do is really navigate this and pick my spots, then that's what I'm going to do. And you can see just, 10x success from doing that. So I think it's a very important point for people in family businesses to hear. One of the subjects that's gotten a lot of conversation, and I know that you had spoken about it and was curious to know your thoughts on it, is obviously with a brand as strong as Katz is, you have tons of optionality to get customers to engage with your brand. The third-party delivery companies and there's been an awful lot of talk about them, are constantly seeking to expand their presence. They're relying on the underlying restaurants, at least for now. What are your thoughts in terms of the role that they can play? Because I think for from my vantage point, it's the people who have the brick and mortars and the brands that have the power. 
It's just a matter of figuring out how to replicate what's being done without that usurious fee. But I, I would love to know your thoughts. Yeah, so I, I'm going to try to answer carefully because my gut reaction is to throw a bunch of curse words out there. So, so, so I'll, <laughs> I'll try to be a little nice about this. I think a lot of how they got their power is by dividing the restaurants. You're right that collectively restaurants have the power, but individually they don't. And I think there was definitely some taking advantage of that opportunity there. And I think we're in a place now where customers potentially are recognizing that and are potentially putting pressure on these companies to not be so egregious in some of their practices. I think it allows for the smallest restaurant who has no say and has to rely on these companies. I think they're starting to get into a better space in their relationship there. You know, we limited the amount of menu choices on these apps. We kind of limited the range. We said, if you really want us, come to our website. And I don't think that luxury is afforded to smaller restaurants, you know, or places without yeah. true strong core. I hope it continues to progress in that direction. I hope that customers continue to recognize those things. And I hope a lot of my fellow restaurateurs like continue to push back on them. I think they do provide a service and I think there is value in their existence, but I don't know that what they value their value at is really appropriate. I think you're right. I think that there's a real, there's a real tension in the whole thing because I think that the third parties can provide value under certain circumstances and can be an additional source of revenue for businesses that have established brick-and-mortar locations and are doing well. I think a lot of restaurants that are not really looking at the numbers as they need to or as savvy as they need to be may not recognize how much money they're losing. Uh, yes. I, I, I absolutely agree with you, though, that I think we're at a moment in time where there's a confluence of events where people are really, excuse me, much more desirous of shopping locally. People are much more respectful of the independent businesses. And they're much more willing to engage directly because I think there's a general knowledge that's out there amongst the community how much money the independent restaurants are having to pay for the utilization of the service. And I think the customers are willing to work with the restaurants to try to offset that. <laughs> Hopefully that continues, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. Uh, only time will tell. And you're starting to see some of these types of companies pop up on a national shipping stage not just on a local delivery stage. And I hope that customers recognize that those companies are the same thing. They're the same breed. And restaurants and customers alike have to be aware and not give them too much power. I agree. And I think this is why it's so important to have a brand. And certainly when you have one that dates back to the 1880s, you have an enormous amount of power. I'm curious, Jake, because you have so much history there, what would you say, if you can identify any, that would be the biggest change of, of what you've seen in your consumer over the past, let's call it 10 years, whether it's menu items, whether it's how they engage when they come there? Have you noticed anything different as the neighborhood around Katz's has obviously continued to change in a dramatic way? There's a couple of changes there. I think one is sort of the 
food photography, food porn type of mentality, you know, the, the whole foodie concept. You know, about, I don't know, six, seven years ago, you started seeing people that would come in, order a sandwich, take a picture, and not eat the sandwich. And it was more just about showing a picture or, I don't know if it's like telling your friends that you came or, or whatever it may be. So I think social media has played an interesting role in how restaurants have had to sort of weather. It's interesting. Uh, that's I'll leave it at that. Some of it's great. I, I think it's wonderful that you are so compelled by the look of cheese dripping down a sandwich that you really want to take a picture of it. And I love that. But it's definitely changed certain things like the pastrami Reuben, for example, was something that was never asked for. Taste-wise, it's a lot. It's a lot of flavors. There's a lot going on. Pastrami on rye with mustard is the classic. But a Reuben photographs really well. So, <laughs> hmm. so that's sort of changed some things. You know, I think some of the practices maybe that Amazon has done in terms of customer satisfaction in the, the sense that like it's an automatic refund, you know, no questions asked, no pushing back, no challenging has had an effect on how we handle customer complaints. There's this expectation that no matter what, not only should I not pay for this, but I should get some sort of money for the future. And and I think that's not fair to restaurants. I don't think that's fair that we provided a service and, and for whatever reason, not to say if we messed up, I don't want to fix it. I, of course, I want to fix it. If you don't like your sandwich, let me get you another sandwich. Let me fix it. I, no question. Of course, I want to make sure you leave happy. But I think sometimes maybe it's gone too far and that pendulum needs to swing back to the middle a little bit. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I think that's a really good point. I, I can see that. How do you see, because w- w- there's another iconic, uh, and it's worthy of the phrase, neighbor of yours, Russ and Daughters. And they have also been in business for quite some time. And over the last, let's call it 10 years, they began to expand in other contexts. And I know you have as well. What are your thoughts about the expansion of cats is, if any, you know, sometimes people say, you know what, this is what we do. This is our core and we're just going to laser beam focus. Other times people want to leverage it and say, well, there could be a cats is here or we could use the brand in that manner. What are your thoughts on how to manage expansion if that's something that one would want to do with such a well-established brand and, and such history behind it? That's a great question. I think we certainly get questions all the time about franchising, licensing, opening new locations, cities across the country and abroad. In fact, actually, I just saw an email from someone from Dubai this morning. So there's certainly a lot of requests for that. I think what it comes down to is the way it currently is set up. I don't think this is a super replicable thing. I think nostalgia is not easily replicable. And I'm not confident that the food would be great in that situation. And to me, food quality is everything, you know, and and it's something my grandfather used to harp on all the time. One of the things he used to say was, look, anything that seems like a headache, anything that seems like a problem, as long as you have good food, the rest will follow. And if I don't believe that the food can be done well, why would I consider it? And so whether you're talking about restaurants and other locations, or you're talking about a supermarket model, or you're talking about whatever you're talking about, I believe that food quality needs to be the utmost, most central component of it. 
And the reason we haven't really truly expanded is because of that. I mean, look, we, we've opened a little takeout shop in Brooklyn, but I can maintain the quality. That's my own staff over there. It's across the bridge. It's a 10-minute drive. All the food's coming from, from here, from the Lower East Side. So I'm not concerned about that. From shipping, I slice all the pounds here in the store, five, six, seven thousand pounds a, a week, but I'm slicing it all myself. So I can watch that quality. I can see it myself. And when something's wrong, I know. I think when you start expanding beyond a point, quality can take a hit. And for certain models, for certain businesses, I totally get it. I totally respect it. And that's fine for those businesses. I don't think that's right for Katz's. You know, I really hope that our listeners who aspire to own a restaurant one day listened very carefully to the answer you just gave because I could hear it in your voice in addition to the content. But the absolute laser focus and commitment to quality 100 plus years in is something to admire and learn from. I really enjoyed this conversation, Jake. I want to ask you one final question here, which is, you know, a lot of times I'll ask my guests questions for people that are aspiring to open a restaurant, but I bet we have a lot of listeners now who have restaurants and would love to have the longevity or, you know, approach the longevity that you guys have had and be so successful and, and, and relevant and integral decade after decade. So my question to you would be, what one thing or two things if need be, but what would be a core thing that you would say a restaurateur should really be focused on? You've already gone into the quality. If it's that, that's fine. To ensure the highest probability of being around for many, many years into the future. <laughs> that's that's a tough one. It's a, it's It's challenging. I think you know, depending on where you are, I think rent is such an important factor. And many, 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 many years ago, there was a realization by my grandfather, and it was like, well, we got to own this building if we're going to last. So that's an important key. And that's something that you can't necessarily control. And I get that. So let's just take that off the table for the moment. But nonetheless, a very important point that people at the very least could look at from the very beginning, really understand your real estate exposure from the beginning, because maybe you can offset it by doing the right thing at the beginning. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I I get your point. I think it's an important one. It, It is. It is. But sometimes you can't control that. So let's, I guess, table that one. And the food quality that I mentioned is absolutely important. Are we talking longevity within your own life or are you talking longevity from a generational standpoint? And if you're talking from a generational standpoint, well, one of the reasons delis have disappeared in New York is because the next generation just wasn't interested. And it's the aspiration of the Jewish mother (laughs) for the kids to be doctors and lawyers and and things like that. And, And don't be a deli man, right? So you can't ever know what the next generations are going to want to do with their life. And so maybe just the best we can hope for is that in our own lifetime, we can keep it going, that we can keep customers happy and that we can feed our own families with doing something we love. Hmm. Such great words of wisdom. Jake, this has been a, a real pleasure and I so appreciate you taking the time to do this. I mean, I think everybody, if there's anyone out there who hasn't heard of cats is that's something that I would be shocked by, but I'm going to give the website, which is katzesdelicatessen.com. 
and you can find them on Instagram at Katz's Deli. And needless to say, if you have never been to New York and you want to have a real dining experience that is truly unique to New York, you must try Katz's because the food's great, the nostalgia, you'll you'll be taken back and, and you'll be taken somewhere very special. Jake, again, thank you so much. I really, really enjoyed this. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, I enjoy this as well. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> All right. Have a great day, man. You too. Well, that was a really fun and interesting conversation with Jake. I got a lot out of it. As anyone who's grown up in New York City knows, Katz's is one of those special places that is truly a a one-of-a-kind brand. And something that uh, Jake was focusing on that, that really resonated with me was his attention to the quality of the product. The, you could hear the intensity in his voice, the passion that he has for that. And when you think about the fact that Katz's is such a great brand and they've been around for well over a century, and yet now Jake is is, is in charge, and yet the, the just intense focus on the fundamentals and the quality of the product is there. And that's so admirable, something we can all learn from no matter what business we're in, that paying attention to the fundamentals and being consistent and, and making that your priority and your passion will serve you well. And I'm I'm sure it's a reason, if not the main reason, that Katz's has been such a phenomenal restaurant for so many years. I want to thank everybody for listening to the podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, I would really appreciate it if you would write a review and and let us know what you think about it. If you know somebody who would enjoy this content, would really appreciate it if you would recommend the podcast to them. I always enjoy hearing from you guys, so please keep the emails coming. It's Stephen at WolcoFoods.com, or you can DM me on Instagram at WolcoFoods. And most importantly, everybody, have an awesome, awesome day. Thank you for listening to The Profitable Table, fed by Woolco Foods. Please be sure to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. And to learn more about Woolco Foods or Stephen Toberoff, please visit us at woolcofoods.net. <laughs>